everyone. This is Amanda Borchel Dan. And I'm Jessica Steinberg, your host for Times Will Tell, a weekly podcast from the Times of Israel. Hi, everyone. I'm Amanda Borchel Dan. And this week on Times Will Tell, we're speaking with Maim Bialik, who has just released her filmmaking debut, As They Made Us. Most people know Maim from her performance as neuroscientist Amy on The Big Bang Theory, or from her work as a child on the sitcom Blossom that I personally grew up with. But As They Made Us is quite the departure. It's a really tough look at tense family relations as the father in the family's life is winding to a close. I personally found it just shattering. I cried. It touched me. All the emotions. Mime wrote and directed As They Made Us, and it stars Dustin Hoffman as the dying father, Candace Berrigan as the overbearing mother, Simon Helberg as the estranged older brother, and Diana Egron plays the anchor of the family Jewish journalist, Abigail. Let's hear a bit of the trailer for As They Made Us Now before we speak with Mime. Okay, final hugs for dad. Hugs, hugs. Oh, look at that, it's your mom. Nope. God, relentless. Hey, bye. Good luck with that. Mom. Oh, wait till you hear this one. Dad fell again. He's on the floor and can't get up. What? Well, he's comfortable. Trying to sit down and I missed it. Abby, my Abby, you know me better than anybody. You always have. You know me better than your mother. Call the caregiver agency. I gotta fire another one. Oh, no, Mom. What did he do? He was giving your father marijuana in the form of cute little oh, bears. God. Mom, he was one of the good ones. Mayim, thank you so much for joining me. Where am I finding you today? I'm actually in my podcast studio um, in Los Angeles. Um, and yeah, that's it. I'm, uh, I'm, not working, I'm not working today on Jeopardy or the other things that I normally work on. So I'm happy to be talking to you. And I'm in, yeah, Los Angeles, California. Fantastic. You know, you and I are the same age. And so I feel like in a way I've grown up watching you grow up. And <laughs> I think for most of my life, it's been Blossom and Beaches, of course. And, you know, as an adult, the Big Bang Theory. But I realized when I was reading up on you that you were in probably my most favorite show ever that I've always mentioned to my children. And I've never rewatched since being an adult. And that's Beauty and the Beast. Do you remember any? <laughs> of that yes that was my um that was my first tv job um that i ever had in the industry i had just started acting you know pretty recently it was very exciting it, it was filmed at the same studios where we ended up filming blossom a couple years later so um it was just a really neat I, it was the same producing company so that was actually a very nice kind of tie-in as it were in my life and i just had a couple lines you know i played one of the kids who lived underground uh, Linda Hamilton was in and Ron Perlman. Like it was, it was great. And like the effects were really good. I mean, for the time, I don't know if they hold up, but yes, Beauty and the Beast. I do remember it well. I must have done that. Yeah, it was like 1987. And you know, when I told my kids about it and just explaining the premise of the program, they just looked at me like I'd fallen off the moon. It just the weirdest thing. So there's this half man, half beast, but he's really sexy. And I think I kind of was in love with him at the same time. So when you met him in real life, you know, I, with the costume and all that, did he actually look as gorgeous as he appeared on screen? He w he was a very handsome man. You are correct there. And yes, I bet my kids would also, also think I'm nuts if I told them the story. Yeah. And even now you're in 
the program that sounds a little crazy if you just talk about the premise, and that's, of course, Call Me Cat. And what what is this program? Um, yeah, we just finished our second season. We are a Fox show, and it's about a woman who's has a, a change of life and decides to use the money that her parents had set aside for her to get married to open a cat cafe. And these are actual cafes that exist where you go and it's a normal cafe where you get coffee and pastries and things like that. But there are cats there that you can pet and hang out with. And um, many of them, the cats are up for adoption. So it's also kind of a rescue shelter. And so we have this show that we just finished our second season. And it revolves around this quirky woman and her cat cafe and the people that she works with and the people she interacts with. And, um, you know, we're a, we're a situation comedy. And um, we don't know if we'll be doing a third season, but we sure have had a good time doing the first two. So, of course, in Israel, where cats are so ubiquitous, we just call that a cafe. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> and then the other thing that your full-time gig, your other full-time gig is, of course, Jeopardy!, which I grew up watching and you stepped into recently. And I was reading that you're having some kind of a scandal about your wardrobe not changing enough uh, for the, the likes of the viewers, something like that. Well, I, I try not to follow those things, so I don't know if it's my scandal or or just, you know, kind of stuff that gets um, put out there on the internet. Um, yeah, I try not to follow that stuff too much. I, I do know that, um, you know, we, we try and wear something different. We, we try and wear something different every episode, and we do, which, you know, male hosts do as well. I guess with women, it's more noticeable. But yeah, we, we definitely, we mix it up to the best of our ability. But there may be repeats. That's true. <laughs> So it's basically, what is superfluous for 500, please? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I won't be so corny. I can't help it, though. And you also have a podcast, uh, My Embialics Breakdown, with uh, Jonathan Cohen. And tell us a little bit about that, too. Yeah, um, Jonathan and I started that podcast uh, when the pandemic started, um, you know, as a person who grew up living with mental illness and um, having my own challenges. Really, my whole life, I realized that boy, a, a global pandemic will sure, you know, get your anxiety spiked up and, and lots of other things. And especially a lot of us had, you know, anticipatory anxiety. We didn't know what was going to happen. And a lot of us, you know, are still feeling that. So we started this podcast to try and really just give people a, a, a bit of a basic vocabulary about what mental health is and what it can look like and what's the difference between an anxiety attack and a panic attack. And what does, you know, what are the different kinds of depression? And we have people on who are either experts in the field or experts in their own mental health. Um, we just released our Dustin Hoffman episode, which is pretty incredible. He stars in the movie that I wrote and directed, which just came out. Um, and he sat down with us. And um, yeah, we've had some some pretty incredible guests and, and interviews. And um, it's been very rewarding, you know, to talk about what works for people and what doesn't work for people. Um, we're not giving solutions or just sort of exploring um, things that Jonathan and I have tried and some things have worked and some things haven't. And it's been a real, a real pleasure. I actually did listen to and watch uh, the Dustin Hoffman episode, and I found it just fascinating. So listeners, yeah. check out <laughs> My Ambialix Breakdown. Okay, let's talk briefly about what it's like being a practicing Jew in Hollywood. Uh, I don't know what you label yourself or if you label yourself, but uh, at this point, would you say you keep Shabbat or, or what would be your level of practice? Yeah, I call myself observant-ish. And, you know, I, I tend to be a halakhically organized Jew um, in terms of the holidays and the way that I practice them. You know, what it's like is if you're a halakhically organized Jew, uh, the fall is kind of a wash. You know, it's a very, very difficult calendar in an industry that um, is, is very difficult to navigate around. So that's sort of one of the, the biggest challenges 
Um, our show tapes on Tuesday nights, not Friday nights, which is really nice and obviously preferable for those of us who like to be home for Shabbat. We're a, a family with, you know, I have a 13 and a 16 year old. So we had, you know, two bar mitzvahs, one during COVID. And um, we go to Israel for, um, well, we go about every every other year I've been to Israel about since I'm 16. And obviously COVID threw a wrench in that. So my younger son is waiting for his Israel bar mitzvah trip, even though his bar mitzvah was <laughs> last fall. So um, we are Zionists. We are descendants of Chaim Nachman Bialik. So that's a big part of our life as well. Just for our listeners, uh, I want to explain who he is. He's basically the father goose of uh, Israel and much more. But the first foundational tunes that any Israeli child will hear uh, are based on the words of Chaim Nachman Bialik. Yeah, and he was a Yiddish speaker who wrote, yeah, a Yiddish speaker who wrote in Hebrew also. So it was a big part of kind of the Zionist um you know, the, the emphasis on the importance of Zionism in particular um, in Haaretz. So um, anyway, that's, I, 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 tend, I tend to not have as many problems with food as meat or dairy eaters might if they were kosher. I'm a vegan. And so that makes a lot of my life simpler. And um, yeah, I, I, I definitely meet people who don't know a lot about Judaism or observant Judaism, both Jews and non-Jews alike. And also I meet a lot of people who are very interested in, um, you know, the the way that I choose to practice and, and study and, and also raise my kids. Let's talk a little bit about your Zionism as well, because in Hollywood, that's not actually often or always a popular opinion, is it? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I try and make... Um, you know, my, my identity as a Zionist really, it's just a part of who I am. You know, I have family there on all sides of the spectrum and um, both sides of all borders. And, you know, it's been that way my whole life. My family made Aliyah um, really after the Yom Kippur War. So I didn't meet most of my cousins until I was 16. We're close. And obviously with technology now, it's so different than it was in the 70s and 80s when you really, you know, my mom got to speak to her sister, my aunt, you know, like maybe once a month or something. So it's so different now. But again, I run into a lot of people who don't know a lot about Israel, about the foundations of Israel, what it means, what what the media can portray versus what it's actually like. I encourage people to go there because I think it's very different, you know, to, to see it. And I think also there are people who... <laughs> Whether in the industry or not, there are people who don't like Jews, you know, and it kind of doesn't matter what your politics are, is what I've learned. Being a liberal Zionist doesn't matter more to certain people than being a conservative Zionist. If people don't believe that Jews have a right to an autonomous and free state in those borders, it really doesn't matter. And that's sad. And it's also in some ways makes me feel like I, I don't need to convince anyone, you know, if your fundamental problem with me, whoever you are, um, is that I am Jewish, then it doesn't really matter for me to, you know, try and engage in, in dialogue on Facebook, you know, which is where a lot of these things and Twitter, you know, are kind of getting played out. So, um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm very clear that I don't have to agree with all the policies of this country that I live in, or Israel, which I, you know, consider my spiritual, um, historical uh, homeland. I, there are many times that I'm very frustrated with things that go on. And I'm also very frustrated with the way it is presented, you know, in the media, both those things can be true. And I, I love Israel. I love visiting. I love seeing my family and being there. There are things that I enjoy doing there that you can't do anywhere else in the world. And I miss it. You know, I miss it when I can't go and uh, look forward to going God willing soon. So what do you miss? What are some of the things that you can only do in Israel? 
Um, well, obviously I miss my family and um, I have very religious family in, in many places throughout um, Israel, but we all try and you know, get together as many of us as possible. And it's, it's dozens of people, you know, my cousins um, tend to have many children and their children have children. And many of my cousins' kids have married young and had children young. So I get to see my aunt, you know, my aunt was, I think, a grandmother before she was 40, maybe right around 40. So um, I also get to see many generations of this family that I'm part of. So that's obviously something that happens very special um, in Israel. And, you know, for me, I, I love walking around a country that feels so small and that in a good way, I, I love the kind of the familiarness um, of even, you know, taking a bus ride or being in a taxi. And I, I like that notion of, you know, being in a real cultural melting pot. I love all the different kinds of people I get to see walking on the streets. And, you know, I'm one of those people for whom like the falafel just tastes better in the old city. And like, the air just smells sweeter in Tel Aviv. So, you know, I'm, I'm that person. I love, I love all the complexity and the strangeness. And I love all the different things you see. You see, you know, Greek Orthodox priests walking and you see, you know, Druze soldiers and you see Ethiopian soldiers and you just, it's, um, it's also very different from, you know, the Israel that I, that I grew up in, you know, it's changed so much. And I think that's also really beautiful. Um, I do love Jerusalem stone. I love the look of, of Jerusalem in particular and, and the feel of being in the old cities. It is, it's very holy for me as a person of faith. It's a very, very, you know, the Kotel is always the most special place. Um, no matter what is going on up top, it's still our Kotel, you know. We'll be right back with more from Maim Bialik after this short break. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. And we're back with Maim Bialik, who has just added the credit filmmaker to her already impressive resume. Of course, we're here together to speak about your new film, which I watched and I was not prepared for it. Actually, I, I should have done my homework and I should have realized that it wasn't going to be funny and sitcom-y, which is your, shall we say, brand in a way. And I cried so many times <laughs> And was touched Sorry. so many times. <laughs> yeah, Thank yeah, no, you. no, no. It's called As They Made Us. And first of all, I just wondered, is this based off the morning blessing that women recite? Is that is there any connection to that? No, that is so funny. Um, I hadn't thought of that. No, there's a line in the film where 
the the main character abigail says to her brother um you know you're you're as sick as i am you're as sick as they made us so that's actually what it comes from is that we are a product both of how our parents literally make us like our dna and also how they make us by how they behave and what we interact with. Um, I had not thought of that in terms of the Birchon uh, Shachar. It's interesting, though. Interesting. Okay, so I don't want to spoiler. So why don't you explain what the film is as much as you would like to explain? Yeah, the film centers around this this character played by Diana Agron, a woman who is divorced and kind of managing two kids and an ex-husband that she's cordial with, but she has two very complicated parents, and that's played by Dustin Hoffman and um, Candace Bergen. And um, she's very involved in their life. She's very involved in taking care of them, which I think would, resonates with a lot of people, um, especially depending on your ethnic or cultural background, it often does fall on the daughter. And historically, that's how it's been for you know a lot of time. And in almost every family that I speak to, uh, there's like the one that doesn't speak to this one or the one who left, and we don't know why. And so in this movie, um, Simon Helberg from Big Bang Theory plays this estranged brother um, who is kind of called on to come back to the family as their father is um, dying. And um, that's sort of the structure of the film. It is, um, it's not high concept, as they say. There's not controversy. It's about people um, interacting in complicated and, yes, sometimes funny ways. And ultimately, it is. It is um, a deeply emotional story of, you know, kind of a family that, in some ways has fallen apart and in some ways is still together. And it, it was the first screenplay I've written. I, I directed it. I had a really phenomenal um, director of photography, David Feeney Mosier, who I give credit to. And um, I consider it our kind of combined vision. But yeah, that is this movie. And uh, my father of blessed memory died seven years ago. And I wrote this film after my year of Kaddish. So it was part of that kind of cathartic process. I lost my mother to cancer around the same time that you lost your father, maybe slightly earlier. Wow. And I think perhaps because of that, it hit me so hard. But it's it's just an emotional film to begin with. And even the very uh, choice of Dustin Hoffman and uh, Candace Bergen was so interesting how it affected me because these are people I grew up with in a way, right? <laughs> you know, very, right. very far away. And now they're, you know, old. And old isn't a bad word or a judgy word. They are old. They are, you know, objectively old. And of course, Dustin Hoffman, who plays the father, is not looking as great as he looked on your podcast recording. Well, he, he let us make him, he let us age him. Um, he actually looks remarkably, um, he looks remarkably youthful. And also Candace, I mean, she's stunning. She's absolutely stunning. Um, and she's stunning in a very mature and graceful, beautiful way. So, um, but I, I absolutely resonate with that, that um, making a film with people that so many of us knew in their youth, you know, and knew for roles that they did, you know, when they were, let's say my age, you know, um, it was very, very powerful. And um, yeah, I think definitely added to a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the emotion around it for us, even on the crew. And I hope it's not a spoiler to say that there's some flashback scenes and, and then spliced with yes. real life. And what was so interesting to me, you know, we are the same age, right? So just the, the very color scheme that you use in these flashback scenes just remind me of old photo album uh, colors. Yeah, that's what we, that was, that was intentional. My production designer, Jordan Henderson, that was something she and David and I worked on together. We wanted, you know, the present day is very kind of, cool and very kind of blue and gray and there's a very specific kind of look 
in terms of like, we didn't want it to be distracting. It's very kind of almost monochromatic and, you know, at least in that selection of hues. And then yes, the flashbacks are that kind of amber hue of many photos of the seventies and, and early eighties. Um, and yes, there's also like a graininess so that the flashbacks, you know, also like look and, and feel a little bit different. And the idea was not that like, oh, she's a first time filmmaker. She didn't know how to tell a story. So she had to tell it in flashback. The idea is that, um, you know, it's, it's a movie about memory and how pervasive, you know, the experiences we had as a child are. Um, and that we're kind of constantly in this process of remembering and forgetting. And um, obviously even two children growing up in the same house can have a very different perspective. It's also a very Jewish movie. I should say that, um, you know, we do show a lot of, um, you know, more traditional things and like the Shema kind of runs throughout and Candace Bergen, who is, is not Jewish. Um, she actually knows a lot of Yiddish. She, she ad-libbed some of her Yiddish in the film. Um, Diana Agron, who's a very accomplished singer, she sings in Yiddish in the film as well. One of the lullabies that my grandfather um, used to sing to me. So um, yeah, there's there's a lot surrounding um, the role of the Shema, you know, kind of throughout. And I didn't do it in any way to be like, this is a movie about a Jewish family. It's just, I, I wrote it about aspects of um, this family's experience in, in mourning, in grief and in death, you know, that um, I feel Judaism really uh, can be very supportive in, and I, um, you know, I got a lot out of the, especially the halachic structure, you know, surrounding grief and mourning. It's true that the Judaism in the film is presented by the way, meaning uh, just along the way they happen to have <laughs> a, a Hanukkah, you know, a menorah on right. a shelf, and and there's a little, you know, Magen David, a Star of David tacked to the door, things like that, things that I I I would assume are very recognizable in North America to everyone, not just Jews, but. <laughs> but it could have been uh, as easily some kind of uh, Italian family or some other ethnicity, it felt like to me at, at the same time. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, they also could have been Italian Jews, which would be, you know, another Even <laughs> layer <better>. of complexity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think, um, you know, people from, I definitely think people who, who come from, let's say, an ethnic family would, would maybe understand a lot of the dynamics in particular. But you know, I've also spoken to people who don't come from any sort of ethnic family, but just come from a family where there's intensity emotionally. And that's a lot of families. And that's kind of what I've heard also. Um, but for sure, there are things that are, uh, you know, particular um, to, to a certain kind of family structure, for sure. The arguing between uh, Dustin Hoffman's character <laughs> and Candace, but I just heard my grandparents, Lou, Leonard, Lou, Leonard, this, you know, New York. Where right. it, it was so visceral. It was just there. It, amazing. Just <laughs> Thank you. Great capture. Now, there are a couple scenes I don't want to spoil, but there's a lot of anger, unresolved anger mm -hmm. that becomes more faded you know, as the photo albums in the 1970s albums kind of fade out, those colors fade out. And and I wonder if that was a fair treatment of these unresolved anger issues. You have a lot of conflict between all of the members in the family. And, and some of it was, it seemed to me, I don't know, kind of swept under the rug and, and just forgiven. I don't know if that's fair. Yeah, well, I mean, I think... Um you know, there's a lot of, lot of subjectivity, obviously, and people, I, I've heard all, all different kind of reactions, you know, to the, to how we deal with in particular, like how the film deals with violence, um, you know, and I think that, you know, part of the complexity that I wanted to show was a lot of that uncertainty about how you function. And, 
you know, this is a movie about, you know, a woman, you know, kind of in that sandwich generation of taking care of her parents um, with all of the memory and pain in many cases that that is involved with. Um, and also trying to function in her present life um, with her own children and her own mental health and her own things. So, um, you know, I, I intentionally did not write a movie where we actively resolve all those issues because in many cases they cannot be resolved. What I wanted to show is that sometimes people that hurt you also love you very much. Um, and um, people who hurt are often hurt themselves in the first place. So. Um, I did not intend for the film also to be about forgiveness per se. And I think that's also something that, you know, can make a lot of people uncomfortable. There was one review in particular where the, the reviewer said like, I don't want to deal with these people and these feelings. And why would anyone want to interact with these people? And that's exactly the point. Many people would not want to interact with these people and many people can and do. Um, and so I really wanted to show also that there's strength and growth, you know, that can come um, from being able to reconcile things that were painful with things that also you do feel um, that you can, without harming yourself, still have a responsibility to. And I think that's what I wanted to show with Abigail. It, it's, we don't know all the conversations that went on. We don't know all the things in between. And sometimes in life you don't. Um, and in some, in some cases, those conversations don't happen. Um, but I, I intentionally left it a little bit open for people to decide to fill in the blanks of what happens in between. Because I am a Jewish uh, media journalist, as is Abigail, the, <laughs> the modern Jew. I mean, come on, that's just the perfect name for yes. some kind of outlet. I'm sure it will come out at some point. But yes, and and a mother and, you know, dealing with the work-life balance and having parents and having gone through the whole sickness thing. I, you get I it. I get it. And I, ident I identified with her so much, but she was so... I don't know, too good to be true in so many ways until, and I'm not going to go any further with that, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. And Kolekova, good <laughs> job getting those scenes in too, because Thank you. otherwise I would be like, oh, I just hate you because you're beautiful to begin with. I mean, the actress is just <laughs> gorgeous, of course, right? She she is. And she, no, and also she did a really, it's a very difficult um, role, you know, to play. She had to go through so many complicated emotions. And she actually did an episode of my podcast where she talks about her father has a progressive um, illness. And so she has been dealing with a lot of these things since she was very young. So it was really um, a real work of love, you know, for her as well to work through some of this. And I think she did a really, really stunning job. Definitely, no question. And the last name Agron, I, I would assume she has some kind of uh, tie to Gershom Agron, another literary figure. And oh, I, I, that you know, it's funny. I never asked her about that. She, she is Jewish. I think originally it was Agronsky, uh, um, and then it was shortened to Agron. But um, I'll have to, I'll have to text her and find out. Yes. <laughs> now, I, I also want to ask just about the idea of pride in Judaism, because we have all this pride and the the uh, respect, and Dustin Hoffman especially was very keyed up on, you're not respecting, you know, all this kind of stuff. And that definitely, as it echoed the experience in my Jewish family, my Jewish American family. And, and I wonder if uh, that is something that you think is universal enough to put out there, or is it more particular? 
I don't know. I think it depends, you know. Um, you know, I grew up in that kind of home. You know, my grandparents were immigrants, so I grew up with first generation Americans who, you know, my dad was pretty Americanized. My mom much less so. She didn't speak English in her home. Um, and my grandparents, they they, you know, they never drove. They didn't have, you know, they worked in sweatshops and, you know, they were a very different kind of American experience. But um, that notion, I, I think, resonates for a lot of people, if not of my generation, the one before, you know, my parents did raise me kind of very old fashioned. So um, for me, that was a, you know, a big component um, and one that, um, you know, is very true to a lot of experience I know about. Um, and then again, it's not without love. Uh, it's just, you know, we all do the best we can. And I see that as a parent myself. Now, something that was very modern and didn't raise an eyebrow, I thought, was uh, the main character, Abigail, is really taken with her landscaper, who is, <laughs> I would assume, not Jewish in any kind of way, just looking at his <laughs> lineage, shall we say. Um, and and yet that goes without any kind of uh, comment in this very Jewish family. Was that intentional? You know, I... I I think that I'm trying to think, yeah, I, I guess it was intentional. Justin Chukari is the actor you're talking about. Um, and it's funny, I, I did date a non-Jew after my divorce. Um, and of course it was spoken about, but yeah, I, I guess, you know, there's also so many things to cover in a movie. And I think there's a lot of also, you know, misunderstanding about, you know, Jews marrying out. And it's a lot of complexity, I guess, that didn't feel like it needed to have its place in this film. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't I don't portray her as an observant person, you know, uh, you know, I, she obviously has a, a lot of Judaism in her life. Um, but yeah, I didn't I guess I didn't make an issue of that. <laughs> <laughs> the the writer at the modern Jew dating, uh, you know, non Jewish landscape next headline, right? That's right. <laughs> Um, one thing I noticed as well, and I don't know if it was intentional or just coincidental, and we can end on this because I'm taking up much of your time, is the female actors are taller than the male actors. W <laughs> was that on purpose? <laughs> I didn't even notice. No. I mean, it just happens sometimes. No, I hadn't even thought about it. Um, I mean, Diana is, she's, she's tallish. So, and Candace obviously is also a tall woman. I literally hadn't even thought about it. The, um, I should mention the, the actress who plays Nathan's uh, girlfriend and then wife in the movie is actually an Israeli actress. And um, I believe she's, um, we had her in low shoes, but she was not an exceptionally tall woman. Um, her name was Michal. And um, anyway, she's from B'nai Brak, I believe, which was very exciting <laughs> to have an Israeli uh, with us. But yeah, I literally had not noticed yeah, in real life, all the women in my family are shorter than the men, but the men are not very tall either. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's your, you know, your inner feminist just making it, you know, just, just, <laughs> just giving them that edge. A little edge, right? Yeah. And we women, we definitely deserve it, right? So, Maya, it is Mother's Day this at the end of this week. Do you have any kind of Mother's Day wisdom that you want to throw out just to end our our little conversation? You know, I, there's a lot of expectations, especially here in America, about Mother's Day. And, you know, I grew up where, like, we, you know, got there early to some restaurant where you had to, like, wait for two hours and everybody was grumpy and hungry. Um, I decided when I became a mother to not have any pressure on the day at all. And it's been very, very pleasant. I usually will do something, um, you know, we'll do something with my mom, kind of what she wants to do, but often the day before. So that on the day of, I just, I really like to, like, sleep 
organize the kitchen, like clean the pantry, do something just that like makes me feel good about the house being more in order. And I like to be left alone for the most part. Um, but we did, we took my mother to a Jane Austen improv play. Um, and it was outdoors, which was perfect because of the COVID of it. And we all wore ridiculous looking sun hats and she loved it. So we did that a week early and that felt appropriate. That sounds brilliant. I, I wish I could do that one day. And so now I have a new thing on my bucket list. Beautiful. Mayim, thank you so much. Really a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Times Will Tell from the Times of Israel. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein. Please subscribe wherever you find your podcast and check out our daily briefing news show every Sunday through Thursday. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. Until next week. Shalom. Shalom.